Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show where you go through the movies, the TV, and all the entertainment that people can't cut away from. I'm your host, Arturo, and joining me, with no strings attached, coming at El Duce, Zachary Shevik. What's up, Zach? There are no strings on me. What's going on, man? Absolutely I'm glad to none. be back talking about the latest in theaters and streaming and on demand as we get closer and closer to the end of the year year uh this is a great time for movies not only do we have like are we in the thick of award season with like great films from great filmmakers dropping every week but we're also kind of like in the end of year blockbuster season and you know sure. we got some heavy hitters coming back as well too as well too. it's a month on all cylinders yeah you're gonna have every single type of movie that you could possibly watch available at home in theaters, everywhere you go, there's a bunch of things to watch. Um, yeah. And we got some early contenders in here that we're going to be able to talk as much as we can without spoilers. We're going to be discussing some stuff that's in TV, some things that are going to be on a lot of people's end of the year list. But one of the big stuff or some of the big stuff that has come out this week, as I pull this up over here, has been uh, a variety of different things that have had slow rollouts for the most part. Uh, but one of the biggest ones would be The Whale, something that has been getting so much attention. We talked about it a little bit last week. It has started to expand uh, as it goes wider and wider throughout America. It's the new Darren Aronofsky movie that has a lot of people thinking that Brendan Fraser is going to take it all. It's between Brendan and it's between between Elvis himself, Austin Butler. I don't know if you have a preference so far, Zach, in which way you think uh, it's going to be going for the award season. Colin Farrell and Banshees. Hey, I'm down for that one as well. <laughs> don't get me wrong. He is fantastic in there, but I feel like it is a battle of the prosthetics for most yeah, people. And yeah. it really is just going to depend on, uh, on what movie, I guess, made you feel uh, a certain way. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but I've been able to dive into a little bit of the interviews and figuring out that this is actually a um, play that was made a couple of years back that Aronofsky mm -hmm. saw out on Broadway. He liked it so much that he decided to get a cast of uh, actors that he's been wanting to work with for a while and was able to put it all together. And uh, hearing a lot of the the actors talk about the approach that they had with this and the rehearsals and the four hours that it took Brendan to get into the suit, um, you know, there, there's still a lot of elements to the story itself, what the play uh, what the play script itself holds in terms of how these characters interact with each other that I do find to be um, very interesting and beautiful, even in its dark ways. And I still believe that Hong Chao and everything that this woman has been in all year delivers to a degree that even when I think the movies that she's in are going a little bit overboard, she comes in and is the saving grace, right? There are moments in this movie where a lot of it is for show about how big Brendan Fraser is in the movie. And there'll be scenes with Sadie Sink where I feel like they just wanted him to get up to chase her that don't right. feel like they're, they're authentic, natural moments. It feels like, now nah, we got to get this bit to show the audience uh, uh, all of the prosthetic bit, right? We're trying to, trying to get an Oscar here. But when Hong Chow's on screen, yes, you still feel that moment that they're trying to get him to choke to showcase, you know, something that he's got to do on a daily basis as a part of his routine. But there's something about her that feels like it, it flows a lot better. So that's a, that's a big testament to her. It's a big testament mm -hmm. to... Uh, uh, Brendan Fraser with what he's able to do here. Uh, but I'm still split on a lot of the visuals in the movie. And I caught the boy on record, Darren Aronofsky, which I've said, <laughs> there are moments of this movie that come off as a comedy. And one of the first interviews that I hear, he's talking about, every time I play this movie, there's just certain moments that I know are going to get a laugh. And I get them. 
every single time. I think that's why a lot of people are split on the film. Um, yeah. Zach, uh, you got to see this way, way longer ago than I did. Different crowd. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, it, it didn't really work for me. I think that Brendan Fraser is pretty good in the film. Like, I, I'd be happy for him to get an Oscar nomination. Hong Chao, like you said, really is kind of the actual heart of this movie and the only person that, to me, felt like a a more well-rounded character. And I wouldn't say that's really the writing. I would say that's her performance. I think she's bringing a lot of angst and and baggage and frustration to her delivery of certain bits here that uh i think it, it it's a performance that's so good that it makes the performances around her seem more real too but ultimately when it comes down to the writing of this movie i just don't think that there's like much there i don't think that as much time as you spend on brendan fraser's character in his apartment the entire film takes place in his apartment you never really get a full picture of what he's like what he thinks how he feels there's a moment that comes late in the film involving uh, involving uh his job that is such a like random left turn because it doesn't feel like it's been foreshadowed or, or really alluded to um i just think that mo the film is built on this kind of phony empathy of sorts where it's it's it wants to feel like it's sympathetic but it's not actually sympathetic it's more gawking and it to me it just doesn't really cohere uh plus there's the fact that the movie ends the exact same way that a couple other darren aronofsky films of recent have ended it just i don't know i don't know i think you gotta find a new way to end your movies I've been trying to tell Alina that I'm like, there's a certain thing when you've been with a filmmaker long enough that when he makes a decision yeah. in the movie, you can assume the intent, right? Yeah. And uh, one thing that I explained to you in the, la in the last time that we had talked about the movie was that we know his like spectacle side of things. In Requiem, there are several moments where he knows you're going to yeah. leave kind of traumatized from that movie. And I told you, I th this is still the same guy. So what are those Requiem cheek-to-cheek -cheek actions here and i feel like after 20 something years he's saying here is that same spectacle but in this big guy zach i got mm. him on the record saying that too he said it took <laughs> him back to his requiem for a dream days and i'm like right. sir you are not helping yourself i'm in the middle i i don't want to call it fake empathy i think there's an empathetic story there being told by someone who doesn't I don't want to say doesn't care but is a little bit more sloppier in in showcasing something for the yeah. raw emotion that may come off more as a meme and making fun of the person and he thinks it's like no it's it's raw. Yeah. He he sometimes is that character from Glass Onion who's like I'm just being honest. It's like no, you're being <laughs> honest with a specific lens of wanting to as you said gawk at the person. So right. I I don't know. I think that this is going to have a really big reception with uh mainstream audiences though i feel like the yeah. way that this has been perceived from a lot of people who aren't seeing it as problematic uh and can put that to the side they're not going to sense that and they're going to feel like they're living uh, a moment in someone's shoes because i feel that we've been adjusted for a lot of performances to be very uh out there you know very big heavy leaning performances in terms of like my left foot and here you have someone who's taking his entire body to act this out and i think that's going to be something that resonates with a lot of audiences yeah, I mean, the film has been doing very well at the box office, whereas a lot of awards films haven't been doing well. It's per theater average is uh, the the th uh, like third highest 
of the year, I oh, believe wow. it is, behind Spider-Man and uh, was it Tar or something like that? Something else. Everything that everywhere. Did, uh, oh, every there we go. It was behind Spider-Man and everything everywhere. All I remember at once. that side, yeah. Yeah, so it, th- that tells you that there is a lot of interest in this film. I think there's a lot of people who are really invested in this whole, like, Brendan Fraser comeback. Like, I've heard yeah. from normies in my life about the whale because you know I mean? they are interested yeah. in Brendan Fraser's story. So it, it, I think it's something that is going to uh, be a hit, although it's been interesting to see the critical tide turn a little bit on the movie whereas when it first premiered at uh venice it got a lot of raves and um uh, brendan fraser immediately shot up to the top of the best actor rankings and i think as more and more audiences have gotten to see it the the reactions have been a little bit more divided um i'm curious to see how it will ultimately do because i'm i don't think it's a very good film but i also think brendan fraser is good in it and good enough to merit plaudits in it so it'll be interesting to see how voting bodies sort of navigate that uh that disparity at least in my mind the whale out in theaters as it as it expands we'll see how it ends up doing at the end of the year with the best actor race uh two massive movies that have come out we're going to talk about them as slightly as we can because jimmy cameron's got a Got a sniper on us, and Damien Chazelle's got several different things that he could use. He's gonna stick us in a box, in a in a cinematographer's box, uh, and make sure we don't come out. But Zach had the chance to catch Avatar. He sat with a week. It's been a week since he's been back to Pandora. Got to see the whole three-hour and twelve-minute spectacle. He relayed to me that he got to catch it in Dolby, 3D. But I was not expecting this uh, high. Frame rate buffoonery from The Hobbit. So it turns yeah. out, as X telling me, that we have yet another way for this man to make money. Uh, the first <laughs> Avatar made so much money, everybody knows, because it was that right after the recession. It's 09 going into 2010. Everybody was excited for it, but he used IMAX. He used 3D, the holiday season extension, and then the fact, only, only Jamie can come up with this, that the dollar was higher than the euro during that time. Only he can look at things like that. This time around, I don't know what other political things he's got going on. I guess we're coming out of uh, COVID. He's got a movie that you can see in 3D. You can see in three screens with Screen X. You can see in IMAX. And you can see in this... People are saying it's three different high frame rates. Uh, Zach, you know how I feel about it? Turns out you feel the same way. Tell me how you felt about catching Avatar The Way of Water. I mean... For me, as I put it in my letterbox review, the high frame rates did occasionally make me feel like I was playing a video game. I've seen someone else react that watching it, they were sort of waiting for the press X to keep swimming prompt. And like, I I don't know, that's just that's something that just like maybe it just takes a matter of conditioning and a lot of these types of movies to come out with high frame rates to to retrain our brains but i i don't know my my immediate association when it comes to anything high frame rate is video game cutscene and uh it doesn't really uh help that they're doing a lot of that higher frame rate stuff on the cgi creature shots and less so on the live action human shots so I don't know. Uh, it's definitely something that took me out of it. But I also was uh, saying in my in my tweet review that while Aver- Avatar hasn't necessarily overcome those kind of 
clunky story beats that are definitely present in the original the sequel is full of that kind of boundless imagination that sense of wonder the the technical mastery that we've come to really recognize from james cameron and the weta team uh, in their work in avatar like when you are actually uh when you get past the first hour which sort of retreads a lot of material and mm -hmm. ideas that came up in that first movie you get into the second hour that takes off and opens up in this really beautiful way uh that that shows you a, a side of pandora that like you're going to uh just be blown away by it it's one of those things where it is transportive in the way that only cinema feels like it can be in showing you a new world and then finally it becomes like this sweeping action epic for that final hour the where where the guy who made aliens who made terminator shows up again and, and reminds you that he's if not the best then one of the best in this type of blockbuster action filmmaking um you know, it's interesting. Like I was, it, there's a lot to talk about. I'm excited to dive more deeply into it. It maybe didn't live up to all my expectations, but it still, it's still so much of what I wanted from uh, a new Avatar film, and definitely better than I think I could have expected when we didn't even think this film was like going to see the light of day for a while right with all that that's out there and it's been such a long time is josh in the comments saying he was six when the first one came out now he's 20 so we have that toy story thing going on right i think you related perfectly for top gun with your prediction about that passing a bill being a big box office thing because of the generations that have passed yep it's, it's not gonna as many be a generations box office that... force no, but like, there's years. enough that like there's that nostalgia has kicked in there might be a little bit of like showing a new generation I, I'm I'm curious to see how it'll do. So yeah, uh, I'll be catching it tonight. You... So as soon as we wrap with this, I'll be putting my all my blue paints on and going into the theater <laughs> ready with my Navi yeah. tail to go catch it. Uh, but I'm excited for that. I will be catching the IMAX as well. That's what I would recommend. Hopefully, I, I hope this first screening is a high frame rate so that I don't have to deal with it in IMAX. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a prediction on on where this will end up in the all time box office charts? Like we 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 shot our shot with Top Gun, and I think we nailed that one. So. What do you think about Avatar Way of the Water? You know, this is another highest grossing film of all time from James Cameron. I don't see why not. I think the rollout's going to be insane. I think he's got Number all the one. money there. I, I think people want to go back. My only thing with it is that I'm looking at the theaters right now and they're not sold out. But then I, I don't remember 09. And I don't think the theaters were sold out then either. I think it had mm. legs. That's the thing is that all these James Cameron movies have legs and unlike the Marvel films, which have their Disney plus ties, we don't know when this film is going to show up on a streaming service. It might don't know. do the Top Gun Maverick strategy and just kind of ride it out in theaters for a while. There's a, there's a screen X in Salt Lake City. So when we get over there. Hopefully if this is still playing, I'll catch in the three screens as well. But <laughs> three Billy, bro. That's the thing, right? Three Billy. Mm -hmm. That's the count that they want to reach first movie to that. Um, if there was ever anyone to bet it on, I'd say this. So Avatar, The Way of Water. I will be catching it tonight. Comes out everywhere on Thursday. I'm really excited for it. But moving from one three-hour epic, three hours and 12 minutes, to quickly another three-hour. How much is this one? 
uh, as I pull it up, 189 minutes. <laughs> this is ridiculous here. But yet again, another epic coming out at the end of the year, looking back at the history of movies, talking about movies just in general, at three hours and eight minutes. Damien Chazelle has another hit. Or maybe not. People have been conflicted. <laughs> Zach, I don't think you've had a bad Damien Chazelle experience at the movie theater. Not yet. And and Babylon is among them. Not yet. Talk a little bit about Babylon. I know this one, uh, we have some embargoes that are left up. We're allowed to talk about our right. social stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I can I can share my, my social reaction, which was that Damien Chazelle decided to make a film about a point in history when new film technologies that caused permanent changes to the medium deterred great artists from doing their best work at a point in history when film new film technologies causing permanent changes to the medium deterred great artists from doing their best work i mean this is i think he's having the martin scorsese jim cameron kevin feige argument in the context of this movie and set yes. against the backdrop of the silent film era which is kind of awesome i i think that's just a really neat way to make a statement about filmmaking and i've seen a lot of people talking about you know this is like Damien Giselle decided to make the last movie ever made. And you really Thank feel you. that with just all the, all the different elements he put in, how over the top it is, how tactile it feels. It, it does kind of feel like maybe we won't get more movies like this, but God damn, he's going to make one if he can. Um, it's, it's, it's an electric movie. I don't know if, all of it works. I don't even know if a lot of it works, but the energy is undeniable. And and when you are kind of swept up in it, it feels magic. I agree. This is, uh, if you're fans of the epics that was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with the way that that built the lore of its uh, just filmography and the actors who are in there, and you love the audaciousness of Wolf of Wall Street, Take both of those, make it a sandwich, and that is this movie. If movies die tomorrow, this was him saying farewell, bro. The stuff that he does in this film is him looking back at all of the movies in history and homaging them. And Zach and I were talking about this earlier without even getting into spoilers, but Zach has a really good thing on the score that just came out. The man is homaging all of the best in cinema, and he said if some of my movies were also the best in cinema, then I will homage myself. He goes all out in this movie. This is a film that is very heavy on the R rating. It is, it's yeah. not a perfect movie, but it is, it is a movie that wears its heart on its sleeve, on its shirt, on its face, everywhere, bro. It understands so much about how we feel about movies right now. It is able to take a lot of the actors and, uh, things about cinema at this at this point in time and like you said instead of having a discussion in an interview he put it into a movie uh i hate the phrase it's a whole lot of movie i've heard some highly professional critics say that out of movies where i'm like hey, it's like two movies bro this is the only time i will accept that that criticism yeah this is a whole lot of movie because it literally is every movie put into <laughs> one movie you know it, it it's bombastic in every way, shape, of the, uh, to put it. If you think that Damien Chazelle is a person who's made previous films where he's overextending his reach, then he sprained himself on this one, and this movie may not be for you. He goes way further than I ever thought he ever possibly could have, from La La Land to Whiplash. He he goes all out. I, I love that every time he, he makes a movie, he's up to bat, and he swings for the fences. He's giving it his all. There are... Elements in this that remind me of some classic movies that I love, like Living in Oblivion, about the concept of making movies. And yet, 
he still finds a way to show you like how difficult it may be to shoot this movie and still have that love for it. Um, I recommend this highly. Make sure you have a recliner seat. Make sure you have a really good Dolby setup around you when you go see it in the theater. If you've loved all of Damien Chazelle movies, he won't disappoint you. So Babylon. I believe this gets wide on Christmas Day. So yeah, so still got uh, a couple weeks. Horizon, seek it out. But you will. Yeah, have, there are screenings will, popping up, so you will have Avatar it, three hours, Babylon three hours. If you get yeah, that oh, uncut geez. of Bardo, that's three hours too. So much stuff on the horizon, but uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff to see in theaters. You cannot deny that everything that that uh, that's coming up in these December days isn't bad. Uh, another one that is in cinemas right now. We didn't get to catch it, but especially next week as things start extending a bit more and Avatar being the only release, we'll be covering Spoiler Alert, which my only intrigue here is because it comes from Michael Showalter. Mm-hmm. Freaking love Michael Showalter. So uh, I'm curious to see what he does with this movie. But there is a couple of other festival releases and just in general streaming releases that I wanted to cover uh, that are out in streaming right now. We have mentioned them in the past. Decision to Leave. I had told Zach that I have not tried the movie Goat thing, but someone explained to me that at the end of the summer, they included the music box and they included uh, the Gene Sisko Film Center as a part of the movie thing. So I downloaded Movie Go, got the whole movie, subscription service to go with it, and at any point in time, I could literally just go to the Gene Sisko Film Center on my movie app and go watch EO, which I guess is the movie of the week. I think this is only for New York, Chicago, and LA right now. Um, but it's a bang for your buck, bro. Not only do you get Decision to Leave in the comfort of your house right now because it's on movie and all of the movie movies because they have a new one every every day. Um, yeah. I did the math on that. A music box ticket every week for one month is going to end up getting you probably over $50. For the whole year, it's $79.99. So as of right now, we're not sponsored by movies. We don't do sponsorships with streaming services. So it's complete raw reaction right here. Yeah, that's a killer deal. I, I've got yeah. a movie pass recently, and Zach has seen how terrible it is. It is completely pointless. Movie is a really good deal if you're, a, a, I'd say, more of an art house film fan right now because it limits yeah. it to certain theaters. But I think it's worth it, dude. Yeah, I mean, if you're in New York City or in Chicago and you, you are into the kinds of movies that we like to profile at Intercut, the more festival-level movies, like, it, it's just one of the best deals out there not to mention yeah. that it's like one of the few ones where it gives you access to films at home and in theaters so definitely catch this it's on movie uh, it's also one of the best of the year and it's one of those movies that you want to rewatch things so there's no better place to catch it than there another one that we were talking about a lot earlier in the year out of sundance is now available in the comfort of your own home on netflix so it was really cool to see this one trending it was beating out yeah. this movie bro um but it, it it's one that's coming from uh aubrey plaza's uh what is it evil hag production yeah. serving as producer and and i hope this one does well as it's doing right now on netflix because i would like to see more stuff from her uh and this is a really good thriller so check that one out over on netflix if you can zach <laughs> what a year some of the biggest movies with so many stars and in less than a month of you and I catching it in theaters, Amsterdam is sitting on HBO Max right now in the comfort of your own yeah. home. I don't know why it's not appearing here on the Just Watch, but Intercut's got you. We saw this on the IMAX screen. Now I can watch it on my iPhone. Uh, this right? moved quickly, bro. I'm almost, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's too, I mean, it too big of a cast. It did pretty poorly in theaters, so. Yeah. 
They said it was a $100 million bomb. Um, well, it is available on HBO Max, the other $100 million bomb that's out there. But one that you're going to want to keep because, Zach, one of your favorite movies of the year. Favorite films of the year. Yeah. Comes out on Midnight on HBO I'm, Max. I'm pumped to rewatch it. Banshees of Inisherin will be streaming on HBO, comfort of your own home, so you can study and see who is the best donkey of this year. <laughs> I... I struggle to be able to pitch to people a movie in theaters if in a month it's going to be not just at home, but it's not even VOD. It's like they've already prepaid for the movie on their streaming service. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's I think certain audiences, it's a losing fight to get them back into theaters. Right. A lot of people have just become conditioned to not going to the theaters anymore. And uh it, it, if they're going to go to the theaters, it's probably not going to be for the depressing movie about two friends who break sure. up. But even though it it's would be for maybe the best movie of the year. Ticket to Paradise, then, Zach, which in less than a month is now sitting at home, not on Voodoo, but on Peacock. Yeah. That's and this one did like, okay in theaters. And this one I thought was, I mean, it's the biggest actors that we've had of the last couple yeah. generations. And even that couldn't find itself. Uh, safe from hitting the streaming service early so i think a lot of people when they discuss these movies coming out they think it's just the indie stuff nope ticket to paradise is not safe i know bros didn't do phenomenally well but to think that this one also having a pretty hefty budget for a comedy getting flipped also sitting on peacock yeah it's just a crazy time dude um all the all the meanwhile father stew reborn in theaters you can see it right there clearly zach you are not Going crazy. There is two Father Stew movies. Father Stew, the rated R version that came out, directed by Mel Gibson's uh, girlfriend, maybe wife, about the true story of this reformed pastor. But it was, in fact, rated R when it first came out. Mm. Well, what better time than with all the reissues that have been coming out this year to make a PG-13 version of it? Wow. I did not catch this, but nonetheless, how is Father Stew? Out on Netflix earlier this year and still has the ability to return to theaters. I don't get releases this year, bro. Yeah, I, I was scrolling through my I was scrolling through my A list app and I, I was wondering if it was some error that I got Father Stew among the showtimes. And what worries me is like there's seats, bro. It's the creepy seats. It's the weirdos who sit like in the corner, but I don't know. They yeah. must be in a confession state. Heads. Uh, but that's <laughs> that's a lot of the stuff that's coming out to streaming right now that we've covered at festivals that we've mentioned prior. But let's get into some of the streaming stuff from this week. We have mentioned Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio in the past. It is out now streaming. I personally recommend leaving out to theaters to go see it, at, at least as like a matinee, because I think the stop motion is beautiful. But it is available at home. Alexander the Splat score is it's pretty good, man. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's going to be a finalist towards the end of the year. Um, clearly a finalist for animation. I don't know where it sits in your top animations or with more lists coming out, if you have something else that's at the top. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I still got a couple other movies that came out this year ahead of it on my animation rankings, but it's it's a really delightful one and very beautifully crafted for sure. Uh, and I also just really love the idea of how dark he made this one Thank in you. comparison to some other Pinocchio films we've gotten. I've been seeing a lot of people discuss that. Excuse me, the idea that the person who he goes up against is a little too dark for kids. And I'm like, no, I think it's letting kids know from an early age. Screw them. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's instilling something that I think the whole point of Pinocchio uh, is meant to inspire. So uh, 
I think Guillermo did a fantastic job with it. I would highly recommend it. The behind the scenes that Netflix continues to put out uh, is going to be a joy to watch as the uh, award season continues. But I would definitely recommend this. Uh, I would recommend um, was the A24 Marcel the another really great animation. I I'm going to be conflicted towards the end of the year which one's going to end up on top. But with some rewatches, we'll see which one which one tops it. But Guillermo mm -hmm. del Toro's Pinocchio out on Netflix. I don't Apple TV was something that I'm gonna let Zag take away because I caught the first half of this and I realized this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> One of the weirdest rollouts for a movie because mm -hmm. it starts before we even knew about this movie. But Antoine Fuqua has a new film out. One of the greatest directors, in my opinion, one of the most contemporary directors that we have now who has been able to really move a lot of genres, thriller genres forward, coming in with what he's not even considering a slavery movie. Some interesting behind-the-scenes quotes from this film, including stuff that's in the producer's pocket. But Will Smith comes back with Emancipation, a two-hour-and-something movie that's sitting on Apple TV Plus right now. They did not give this one to us early. Some people did have it. There was even screenings. But Apple said, no, 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 no. We're going to make sure that this one isn't in anyone's account who may have mentioned bad stuff about the Oscars last year. <laughs> it is out for everybody now. And uh, like I said, I only caught half. It felt like... You know, Birth of a Nation, I ended up seeing someone <laughs> mention this too, so I'm glad that I'm not alone, but it felt like the remake to Birth of a Nation, and somehow lesser. You saw the whole thing, Zach. Tell me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's frustrating because there are elements here that I appreciated. I mean, I, um, I've i seen a lot of people say that they think the film looks ugly. I, I don't mind the I desaturated color palette. <laughs> it's it it at least makes uh women talking look a little bit Thank more uh, vivacious <laughs> but um i i personally don't mind it that being said like the rest of the film around it there's just like even though like the production design is excellent i think will smith is like doing uh, he, he's clearly like putting in a decent amount of effort into the film i think they sure. don't give him enough character to have like a full role here it really is like slavery epic as uh survival torture right like he, this is a a movie that's less about the institution of slavery or the psychological toll that it would take on an individual as it yeah. is about like how difficult it must be to survive in the wilderness when dogs are chasing you and when you have to fight a CGI alligator. It, it's kind of like like Will Smith's The Revenant or something. And I, I don't know. The words out of my mouth, bro. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just like I I think that we've had other films that have dealt with the idea of slavery that have gone into the brutality of it and maybe done it better. You know, I think about a film that I, I think is one of the better films to depict slavery in uh, Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave. And that's a film that does not shy away from the brutality and from the uncomfortable uh, just experience of it all. But it also is a film that is more concerned with the the totality of a person and the thoughts of these individuals and, and the psychological, uh, you know, torture that they're going through rather than just the physical yeah. torture. And I, I just found Emancipation to ultimately be a little bit too one note. I feel like my rating on Letterboxd at two stars is maybe a little bit harsh for a film that's mostly watchable and decently well put together, but I, I just found it to be a little bit hollow by the end, and especially when you're forced to sit with it for 
over two hours. It's like it's a lot of of uh, pain for not a lot of uh, reward at the end. I feel you completely. The film we were mentioning earlier or that I had brought up was The Birth of a Nation, a movie that has its own yeah. problems, but at least had the approach that it felt this movie was going for. If anything, I would recommend something that I felt went under the radar for a lot of people when it's just sitting on Prime. Something actually shot beautifully well, oh, casted yeah. well, and approaches the story in a way where it may not be something that you want to title it a slavery movie because uh, this is a series where you actually follow a survivor. That's, I feel, what they were trying to pitch Emancipation as, and it just feels like the emancipation of Will Smith trying to get back into the good graces of everybody is yeah. how the movie's going to, I feel, end up being perceived at the end of it all. But yeah. Emancipation, all 132 minutes of it out on Apple TV+. Plus. It's there. Yeah. So exists. leave it there with that one <laughs> and move on to some other stuff over on AMC+, Plus, an app that I'm still pretty new with. It combines IFC, uh, all the AMC stuff. Did you know The Walking Dead ended? I mean, I feel like they've flirted with ending for ending? several years now, but it sounds like it finally did actually end. Yeah, this next movie, it took me to my AMC Plus app, and you know, I'm about to review it right now, but I saw all of the Walking Dead stuff there. It gets its own tab, and because of that, I, I booted it up, and I saw the finale to The Walking Dead. It is terrible. The, <laughs> the finale to The Walking Dead is an ending that only ends to let you know here's five spinoffs with all of the same characters. Get ready for Stranger Things to do the same thing when it ends. Ugh. Only to start spinoffs, but nonetheless, uh, AMC did provide a decent movie this weekend. It is out, I think, in some theaters. It's out in VOD, but if you have the AMC Plus app, it's a good way to combine all the AMC stuff, IFC, and all of your Shutter subscriptions. This is something that's right from Shutter, and it comes from Joe Bor uh, Bagos. I don't know if you know this man. He's made a couple of movies that I've talked about on LME, VFW. Bliss is a pretty decent one. He loves shooting all, all right. of his stuff on like Super 8 or Super 16. He shoots this one in Super 16, and it follows this evil – I don't want to call her evil. It's a military-grade robot that gets decommissioned and gets turned into Santa Clauses so that you don't have to deal with creepo Santa Clauses. You just have to deal with a malfunctioning Santa that ends up killing people. Uh, it's a pretty brisk movie. It's 81 minutes, uh, and I very much enjoy it because I've seen the director's previous work. But it's two movies in one. It takes an hour before our main characters – even interact with the robot. It's not that mm. there isn't robo-killings happening in the background, but you also have like this kind of indie uh, drama happening where you have uh, a couple who works at this, uh, like a, a, a disc shop. And because of that, they're kind of very hipsters and they're talking about rock music and such. And that's carrying a big length of the movie. Um, I can see some people maybe not being as attached to that, but I thought the way that he wrote the characters was pretty nice. And then you get all the bloody all of the gore you got your sex you've got your banter are the characters as smart as they can be absolutely not but for a streaming movie i think that uh shutter should invest in a lot more movies like this directors who are willing to have some style uh like i said he shoots it in, in uh, super 16 so a lot of the blood the reds the blues uh they stand out a lot so if you're a fan of some indie horror movies put christmas bloody christmas on your radar nice uh i know they're kind of different genres but just compared to the other kind of like gory Christmas movie we got last week in Violent Night, which is maybe the more fun, subversive Christmas film out there. This one, it understands what it is and uh, it, it knows what to focus on. But uh, again, cool. more art house. And I feel like if you're more of a mainstream audience, you might like Violent Night. But I'd say give this one a watch because it's available at home. Cool. 
Cool. Uh, some things in case you don't like blood at all. That we had some uh, romance movies that came out. Going really quickly yeah. through some of the rom coms. There was the Marriage App. Uh, I know this actor because this is an Argentinian movie, and we had just seen him at the Chicago Film Fest. But this <laughs> is a couple who ends up uh, getting united because of this app. Think of like that Black Mirror episode um, where they were yeah. able to come together. The Hank DJ one. But this gets into a little bit of the legalities that happens with the fine print of what you may not have realized uh, as they meet together. It's pretty cute. But the one that kind of surprised me was something from Tiffany's. Oh, really? It's your bare minimum, just a rom-com, but it's got the girl, dude. Zoe Deutsch always coming Mm. in to bring the charm with it. Yeah. Is this an ad for Tiffany's? Yes. Um, but it's a lovable duel. Uh, Kendrick Sampson, some of you may know from Insecure. I thought he was really good in there. He brings a lot of charm with it as well. And it's this couple who don't really know each other. They have their own partners who they're trying to build a relationship with. One of them bought earrings. One of them bought a ring. After an accident, things get swapped. And one person may not want to return the more expensive jewelry item because they may want to see where this brings them in life. And Hijinks and Sue takes place in New York, shot beautifully, it's cute. It's over on Prime, which I think has been a really good service in bringing up these like uh, cute rom-coms that uh, I think are engaging enough and have a well-casted amount of people um, that you end up enjoying. You know, It's not one that you end up at, at the end of, uh, end of the year list, but it hits exactly what a rom-com is supposed to be. So if you're curious in something nice and fluffy, something from Tiffany's over on Prime. Very cool. Fluffiest of them all, though. I was pitching this to you as a series. <laughs> Night at the Museum is back, and it's a whole hour 17 feature animated film. And no one is back, bro. Absolutely not one person came back to voice anybody in here. Not even, uh, what's his name, Golden Globes host who did the original Office. He is long gone. <laughs> Everybody else is just like, I don't know, some voice actor that they got to continue the story where um, – the main character, what's his name? Ben Stiller's character has gotten a promotion to go to Tokyo. So now he's left it to his son. <laughs> and that's it. That's that's pretty much your basic premise here. Yeah, uh, got to keep worried. that IP alive. You got to keep the IP alive while everyone else has either gone too old, moved on, or sadly <laughs> passed away. I don't know how you bring this back if you can't get Rami Malek to come back and do, you know, so, uh, the king. What's, what's bring back, more... What's more canon, this series or his cameo in Bros? Who's cameo in Bros? Ben's. Ben's in Bros? Ben is in Bros. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a clever cameo that they did do for the next yeah. museum. <laughs> this is canon, surprisingly, because I'd say you yeah. wouldn't, you don't have to see the previous movies, but then they do kind of end up connecting them. So I'm curious mm. to see whether whether will expand the lore to this. But cool. Night at the Museum, believe it or not, is still continuing in animated forms. Probably the best way if you can't make a good live action movie. But that is out on Disney Plus right now for you to catch if you are interested. But moving nice. on to the TV side of things. Wrapping it up. Southside, have you caught the show? Uh, not yet, but I've heard a lot of great things. And now that it's back, I've been planning to... Uh binge it tell me a, mo- a little more about it uh i love the first two seasons they're hilarious it's a show that takes place on the south side of chicago where you have some characters or police officers these two who you see right here <laughs> who are 
they repossess things, right? Because they're renters. And a majority of the show is them not liking how they live their lives, but having to take things back from people who are also just trying to get by. Uh, the cast of the characters is hilarious, and season three just comes out pulling out all the punches. Season two had some pretty big Chicago cameos. They had Chance the Rapper. Uh, they've had a bunch of just, you know, uh, be it artists or um, local people. It's the comedians in here who just take it to the next level. Um, this has become one of my good go-to shows to so just watch in the background. Looking forward to new episodes. Season three just started. I think they have two that are up so far, but you got two seasons to catch up on. Um, I'd say I'd recommend this if you want a good comedy in the background to watch. Nice. Definitely catch Southside out on HBO with season three. Very cool. The big one though that HBO got, we have a whole spoiler thing out already. Yeah. Is the White Lotus? Zach didn't like it as much as season one yet. But I think no, we have but, big hopes for season three. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still just a really entertaining uh, premise. I, I sometimes feel like with White Lotus, the journey is more fun than the destination. But look, man, I mean, I, I'm in a, I could always use a fun journey, right? Easily. Um, and I, for one, was a person who thought that this was better than season one. So as someone who had a problem with all of the way that they were uh, – promoting i guess their season two without being a season two it ended in a way where it has me excited for a season three so i'm curious to see how people have been uh engaging with it because i feel that this has been the one show where a lot of people uh have been tuning into hbo this has been the go-to weekly show for a lot of people so hbo always finds a way to uh to keep people tuning in on a weekly basis with the white lotus and i think i think it delivers so that's all the stuff that we have in theaters all the festival releases that's now that are now streaming new streaming TV before we head to our recommendations and picks for the week. Zach, give a little shout out to our intercuity patrons. Yeah. Before we do those picks for the week, thank you to the intercuity plus patrons. Those wonderful people who are supporting the show. They are Ewan, Julieta, Garrett, Tim, Elizabeth, Josh, Ashley, Marion, Matt, uh, and Mr. Kobayashi. Our Academy level members are Tushar, Marion again because I forgot to move her. Caitlin, <laughs> Connor, Pete, Sean, May, Ricky, and Antonio. And of course, a big thanks to the producer level patrons, Awkward and you, Denver. Thanks again for all the support and a reminder that you too can become a member of the Patreon team at patreon.com slash intercutpod where you can sign up for patron benefits like early access to intercut episode outlines, access to the private chat channels on our intercut discord, which you can find a link to in the description of this episode, as well as an invitation to our monthly patron Google meetings. And occasionally you get some glimpse some glimpses at intercut episodes before we publish them to the public. Uh, Art, when do you think we're going to do our next patron Google meeting? Probably next week before we get too late into the month. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, right in the middle, middle of it. So y'all have another week to sign up at patreon.com slash intercut pod to get in on our year end call with the patrons. Help us pick, figure out some of our year end content on intercut. Let us know what the best movies and shows of 2022 were before we put our lists together. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, find out more patreon.com slash intercut pod. Sounds good. So now as we enter this upcoming avatar week as everyone returns to pandora what are your picks of the week zach all right so i'll start it out with 
a couple streaming. I mean, I think all my picks are streaming this week anyway, but uh, a couple different streaming services. Let's go with Hulu, where Abbott Elementary just had its mid-season finale, its winter finale, featuring a cameo from one of our our favorites, at least my favorite. I I don't know. You sometimes have mixed opinions. I yelled when he came out. (laughs) I mean, I... If, if they're just going to make it a thing that Quinta keeps dating internet famous rappers, I, I will be very okay with that on Abbott Elementary. Yeah, um, I've seen him play himself, but playing a character, that was fun to see. Right, right. Uh, it's still a fun show. It's still a really good hang. And now if you maybe have been saving it up, there's 10 episodes from season two that you can binge through. Uh, it's a, still a fun time featuring all my all those favorite characters um not as fun of a time but a good movie that we mentioned earlier i'll give a shout out to emily the criminal which is trending over on netflix maybe you didn't get your aubrey plaza fix from white lotus well there's some more aubrey plaza here in a in a tense scrappy role unlike what you've seen her in before doing a jersey accent uh represented 973 a very fun movie I, I just said it wasn't fun, and now I'm saying it's fun. It's, it's fun movie. in some way. It's thrilling. It's a thrilling yeah, movie. yeah, and it's a good time for sure. Even if it gets into some fraught territory, so I'm recommending Emily the Criminal. Uh, but then I got a trio of recommendations off HBO Max. Uh, the first one, oh. like we mentioned earlier, Banshees of Inisherin, the latest from Martin McDonough, one of the best movies of the year, easily one of the best scripts of the year. Plus, you get Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon, Barry Keegan, all giving excellent, excellent performances. I am so happy that this film is now going to be in my life in a way where I can watch it, have it end and just cue it back up again. again. Yeah, because it's just the the script is one of those scripts that has like a lyrical quality to it, right? It's like yes. it's almost sing-songy in the way that they uh, talk to each other. I love it. So uh, I'll definitely be diving back into Banshees of Inertion later this week. Uh, another recommendation is of Minx, a show that I really loved in its first season and was really excited to see where it grew would grow to after it got renewed for a second season. Uh, they are almost finished filming that second season. Unfortunately, we're not going to see it. HBO just canceled the show. Uh, in part of the continued cost-cutting measures from Warner Brothers, what are they, uh, doing? They, they pulled a glow-style plug on this show that even though there are episodes in the can for season two, and even though this is like a classic grows-between-season show as people get the chance to catch up with it, it, it is, alas, no it? more. They just yanked it. So I, I guess like I have no more opportunity to recommend it other than right now, right now, and telling you all like this is maybe your last chance to catch Minx before HBO pulls it inevitably from Max Plus or whatever they're gonna do. The uh, a really fun hang. Jake Johnson's excellent on it. I think the way that it tackles sexual politics is really interesting and and different in uh, in how it tries to navigate them in uh, talking about compromise. I don't know. I liked it a lot. I hope more people catch up with it and maybe some network other than HBO can uh, yeah. continue its legacy. Uh, so Devesh saying that they're trying to move it to different rights, which again, at least that's the one, the one thing that we have with all of these streaming services out there. Hopefully it can find a new home. I started watching Chippendales and, and mm. I, and I brought up Minx to Alina cause she had only caught one episode of Minx so far. I don't think she knows that it got to, to yeah. and you mentioning glow, I think is also a, another really good show. 
uh, yeah. that relates to this one. If you like any of those two, then definitely hop on this one. It, it did lead to a season two being the next, like, a lot of the story was leading to continue, so that sucks. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, we'll see what the future holds for Minx. We'll uh, but a show that is in Love its second season one. right now, I'm surprised you didn't have it in the rundown because Terrence Nance's extremely experimental show random acts of flyness is back on hbo two episodes have aired so far i believe it's a uh, six episode second season uh mm. and this was a show that in its first season had kind of a sketch comedy feel to it with moments of bizarre experimental film happening mm. to stitch them together this season has leaned way more heavily into the experimental half of this and in that it can be impenetrable it can be incomprehensible in certain moments but it is it it is consistently watchable it is so uh alluring in its particular way it has so much style it has so much flair it feels like watching a music video but there's a narrative going on as well there's just such a there's such an ambition to the way that it takes on these heady topics and presents them in visually uh, assaultive and experimental and bizarre ways. It's just uh, out of all the shows that are on television right now, this is easily the one that's the hardest to predict. If you were watching Atlanta saying, this is way too close to reality, random acts of flyness is for you. It, it is such an interesting uh, assembly. One thing. Was that <laughs> if you're those people who say Atlanta is weird, honey? Yeah, no, try five minutes of this. It's dude, we've been discussing Atlanta so much, and every single time someone goes, Oh, this is so real, this is absurdist. I was like, Here's absurd moments. <laughs> what punctuated. would you do with a season of this yeah. over here? Yeah, they're also really good, uh, creatively to compare because both are series where they took their time for Atlanta, and then when they got on it, they finished two seasons in one year. How long has it been since the season? The first season of of this 2018 yeah so he's to me been like that cooking part, it up. yeah when you have someone who's like not going to be rushed who's not going to like reshape what they're what they're working on you know there was one point throughout this this drought of 2018 to now where terrence nance was supposed to be the director of space jam 2 yeah that would have been exact awesome. that is when that is one thing that i, I think about every other week the possibility of what would have well, happened making a proper legacy sequel you're gonna think about it a lot more in season two of random acts of flyness because there is kind of like an extended bugs bunny homage oh my gosh one <laughs> second zach my <laughs> dropping airpods left and right here but yeah oh. i mean it's it's such an interesting show um just talking about how it's sort of this really interesting afro futuristic uh endeavor Saul Williams, who's the director of Neptune Frost, one of the uh, more <gasps> critically loved movies of this year Sundance. that we got back at Sundance, he is involved in this season. He's an actor in it. I think he might have a bigger role behind the scenes as well. So uh, there's some interesting talent that is associating themselves with uh, Random Acts of Flyness as well. Nice. It's just a show that really, if, you, if you're looking for what's different and what's next and who is really pushing the boundaries of what is even allowed on television, you got to at least check out Random Acts yeah. of Flyness. 
uh, Sundance. That's uh, we'll be making a Sundance video talking about the best how tos and tips to go and going through the lineup. There's some filmmakers, directors from season one who are making stuff at Sundance, and of mm -hmm. course that was the first thing I noted when I saw that that was a part of their filmography. I'm like, okay, you're gonna be making something interesting. So yeah, uh, two thumbs up for this one. I'm glad you got it in there. It, it did slip through my cracks, but I knew it was on the horizon. Uh, doubling up on all of them. Uh, giving my five, and then we'll retract on all ten on Criterion Channel. I, there's this doc I've been I've been recommending to you, and I'm hoping that a lot more people get to catch it. Cane Fire, a killer doc that I was able yeah. to catch in one of the virtual festivals in 2020. Looking back at Hawaii, and in particular, a bunch of people who like worked in these places, only for them to become resorts or filming locations, and be stripped of their property and be blessed with the opportunity to work in said places. It so, goes through the history of cinema and how movies, how honeymoons and destination weddings have, have really changed the landscape over in Hawaii. And uh, this is one of the best docs that I saw that year. I am assuming that now it's in its official release and Criterion has got the biggest, widest accessible way to watch it. Um, highly, highly recommend this one. Criterion channel, just like we were hyping up movie is another great source to catch a bunch of, um, a really great filmography of stuff, and Cane Fire was one of my favorite docs of that year. If it's counting for this year, I got to rearrange some stuff. Then, <laughs> uh, highly recommend it. Cane Fire over on the Criterion Channel. I had mentioned Southside over on HBO. Season three is making me laugh just as much as the other seasons. Uh, I highly recommend Abbott that Zach had mentioned, and I would recommend adding this to your comedy list. Uh, the White Lotus. Zach didn't put it on his. I said it was better than season one. I'm putting it on mine. Uh, another reason to stick with HBO because they're delivering it. If they're not bringing you some of the best movies that were out in theaters, they're bringing you some of the best stuff that's out streaming. Babylon, I believe, is starting to come out in some places near you, or at least it's these really big screenings. GoFobo.com, that is your best friend during this time period because these are movies that you want to catch in a big crowd. And if you can catch it at like a screening, it's going to be even better. So putting Babylon on people's radar, make sure that they catch that. And then Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. If it's out in a theater near you, I still think it's worth leaving at a matinee price, but it's worth watching at home. And that's what's wrapping up my list. So Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio on streaming, Babylon in theaters, White Lotus at home, Southside at home, Cane Fire at home. I don't even know where this one ends up taking you to, but I highly recommend Random Acts of Flyness. Zach also has Minx. Hopefully it gets picked up. Banshees of Inishirin? 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 Inishirin. We'll get it Inishirin. by Yeah, what Emily in Paris and Abbott Elementary covering up all of our picks for this week's. You're not putting Big Jim in the top 10? I got to see Big Jim, bro. I got two hours. Once I see it, I'll know. It wasn't on yours. What if it's not on mine either? I don't want to give a false <laughs> endorsement. But I might. By next week, yeah. I, I, I hope look. To we'll we'll be back tomorrow with Avatar thoughts. The review embargo is up, or, or maybe later this week. We're, we're figuring that out. But we'll we'll, we'll be back with, with with Avatar stuff. Forty intercut Avatar videos on the horizon, going through all of the ins and outs of Pandora. But with that, let's close it out. Give a shout out to the inner cuties and uh, everything else we have in store. Yeah, I mean, I think that's about all for this week's edition of uh, Weekend Must Watch. Thanks again to all our patrons, InterCutie patrons. You can find more from me, Zach Shevich, on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at ZShevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. And check out my YouTube or TikTok channels, at Multiplex Show Art. Where can people find more from you? 
You can find me over at Elmi Explain on Twitter, on YouTube, on Letterboxd, or every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, on Anchor, on Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I really like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash Intercut Pod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the weekend must watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday. And please leave a comment, like the video. Consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much requested five star review. And shout out to our listeners in Nigeria for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Like our Facebook. Follow our Instagram. Follow our Twitter. Hey, support us on Patreon. You can do all of those at Intercut Pod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all of the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again, and until next time, do you have a quote? I, I feel like if you're you're taking the intros, you got to get the quotes. Oh, I got the <laughs> I did, I did until get... next time. <laughs> we'll see you at one four seasons. We'll just have to figure out which one. <laughs>